beautiful humans. Welcome to Role Models, Juicy Conversations with Beautiful Humans. I'm Jennifer Norman, founder of the Human Beauty Movement and your host. It's my honor to serve up inspiration in the form of this podcast. So if you like what you hear, hit that subscribe button. I appreciate it. Today's episode is such an important one. It's all about the resilience that we can have and how we can use the crappy things that happen to us as fuel to propel us to our dreams. And my guest sure knows a thing or two about facing all kinds of ugly and finding extraordinary beauty in it all. This lovely woman before me is Carrie Spranzi. Carrie's experiences as a single teen mother, losing two loved ones to suicide, going through two divorces, and battling stage four colon cancer taught her how to use these setbacks as springboards and turn failure into fuel. Wow. Welcome, Carrie. Thank you, Jennifer. I'm so happy to be here. You know, every time I hear my bio, I still am like, whoa, man. That's a lot. That's a lot. Through it. Yeah, that is a lot for one person to go through in a lifetime for sure. Now, gosh, first of all, I am so glad that you are here. You are alive and kicking and thriving. You are now a trauma-informed resilience coach. So gosh, tell us about your journey from there to here. Yeah. Well, thank you. I'm really happy to be here on your podcast and just here on the planet in general after everything that you just read through. But Yeah, you know, my journey, to be honest, some of the things that you rattled off there that I've been through is my own doing, right? And some of it isn't, yeah? You know, I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, in a Mormon household, in a very religious household where, like most organized religions, sex before marriage is just not something that's done. But my high school boyfriend was super hot, and, you know, my parents were just like, you don't have sex before marriage because God said so. And at 17, I was like, mm, I don't know that that doesn't really work for me. Plus, this is all kind of fun and feels real good what we're doing. And then, you know, pregnant. Yeah. So not that I was naive and didn't like realize that sex is how you get pregnant. But I don't know, I guess maybe I thought I could beat the odds or something or it wasn't going to happen to me because I had bigger dreams. I had bigger plans for myself. This wasn't going to be the thing that derails it. And yeah, but lo and behold, we got pregnant. So, you know, that was sort of like the first thing that kind of set me back on my heels to be like, oh man, this life and consequences for actions is a real thing. And one decision, one little thing can really make your life take a 90 degree turn. Mm-hmm. You know, and by we were 17. Yes, we were in love. He was my first love, all of this. We have this beautiful son together, but you know, we just we really weren't compatible. And if I'm totally honest, I knew that from the get-go. But again, at 17, you think, oh, I can change them, I can make it work. If I just love them enough, it'll be okay. And and it wasn't okay. So by the time I was 21 and my son was turning three, I found myself divorced, a single mom. His dad went off and kind of lived his life for a while. And, and my son and I were left to figure it out. And I think that for me was sort of also the first time that I realized like, okay, it's time to you know put my big girl pants on and make the most of this situation that I have frankly, in this instance, created for myself, right? Like, I mean, I had an active part in my life being here what it is. And so 
that whole single motherhood and working full time and putting myself through college and dealing with the dad coming in and out and sometimes being there and sometimes not and sometimes paying and sometimes not and all of that kind of stuff really taught me how to be creative, how to stick to a budget, how to trust myself. It really kind of taught me this about what was important to me. And what was important to me was spending quality time with my son, being upfront and honest with him. Yeah. Being my word. That was really important. And that part of my life really taught me that fast forward 10 years later, I get married again to a wonderful man. We have a really great life, but as time goes on and I do a lot of inner work and he doesn't really do a lot of inner work. I start to get itchy. Mm. I start to get like "Mm, restless. I need something more. Mm. So infidelity happens on my part, I'll be honest. And because I was too afraid to speak out what was really happening, I was too afraid to just say, Hey, I'm done. You know, I think some of that is because it's so ingrained in us in society and in the place that I come from in religion and things like that, that like marriage is forever. You make it work. If it doesn't work out, it's a failure. But what I've come to realize now is that Marriage is really this only institution that somehow has gotten entangled and enmeshed with religion. And it's also the only sort of human to human relationship that doesn't come with sort of pre-contracts of like what will happen should our relationship dissolve, right? Like if we're in a business together, it's totally acceptable that we might say, Hey, we have different views. We have different goals with this business. And I think it's no longer working. It's time for us to part ways. And then we have rules and guidelines about how to do that. And we can part, but somehow with marriage, that's like not allowed or it's frowned upon if that happens. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't mean to say that what I did was okay. I actually, I'll get to this later, but I actually did go back to my ex and and apologize for all the pain and hurt that I had caused him. He didn't deserve it. I asked his forgiveness. We made amends, right? He deserved more from me. And frankly, I deserved more for myself to handle that situation better. That situation did teach me, you know, to be brave, to speak my word, to honor and love the other person like I had promised, but maybe I didn't really quite know what that meant. I certainly learned in this experience. And so that, yeah, that was another interesting turning point for me to really kind of think about what do I want out of life next and who am I as a person and what do I have to give to others? Then I lost my uncle to suicide, which just made me so sad that someone I loved didn't know how much they were loved and how much worth and value they had to those of us around. Yeah. And at the end of my divorce with my second husband is when I got diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. And it was a one month before my 41st birthday. Mm-hmm. And that was just crazy. You know, I remember being that young mom that I talked about and thinking, man, you know, I have so much time. 40 years old seems so far away, like ancient, I'll be a grandma by the time I'm 40, which actually I'm 46 and I am a grandma, but like, you know, in your twenties, you just think that 40 is ancient. It's just light years away. And now here I am a month before my 41st birthday and I'm diagnosed with this. And the doctors say, we don't know if you'll survive. And I'm just like, what? You gotta be kidding me. I have so much more to do. I have so much more to give. I have so I have so much more life. I don't want to go right now. I'm not ready to go right now. And that experience right then and there was the catalyst for me to just say like, 
all the things that you've been dreaming about doing, all the things that you have been holding back on or too scared to do, don't waste any more time because in an instant it can change. So it taught me compassion for Mm -hmm. others. It taught me forgiveness. I went and cleaned up my side of the street absolutely everywhere because I did not want to exit this world having someone in my sphere, one, not know what they meant to me and to have anything left unsaid, any apologies, like holding on to pride, holding on to grudges, just for what I might not be here in a week. And I want you to know that I loved you and that, you know, what you meant to me. And I want you to know that I am sorry for anything that I have done. And, you know, I want us to leave feeling like we were really blessed to be a part of one another's lives. That experience, all of those experiences was just really powerful for me in terms of stages of learning to figure out who I am and who I want to be in the world Mm -hmm. and gain the bravery and the courage to show up as that. And I think without all of those experiences, I actually don't even know who I would be today without Mm -hmm. those. And I think that's the biggest thing that I try to coach my clients on, as you said in the beginning in my bio, turning, you know, their setbacks into springboards. And really looking at the really hard, unfair, crappy stuff that's happened to us in life as the building blocks and the tools and the lessons that we need to give us the superpowers to go after our dreams, whatever those dreams might be, right? They help us find our voice. They help us get back to center. They help us gain compassion. They help us understand what forgiveness is. They teach us to be brave, you know? And listen, I get it. When you're in the midst of it, when I was in the midst of colon cancer, there were days where I was like, you are not telling me anything about, oh, it all happens for a reason and be in the present moment, right? Like there were times when I was just like, don't even come in my face with all of that stuff because I was so deep in it. But then the very next day I might be like, you know what, the present moment, this is all we have, you know? So it's an ebb and a flow. And I think that's the other thing that I, I really try to instill in my clients is that life is a ride. It is an ebb and flow and we can and have the ability and the capacity to feel all of the emotions. And you can be crying one second and laughing the next, neither diminishes the other. And it doesn't mean that what you're going through isn't hard or that it isn't serious. And it also doesn't mean that life isn't beautiful and wonderful and funny and ridiculous all at the same time, because I think it is all happening all at the same time. That's so true. Wow. Thank you so much for walking us through all that has occurred. And I can see that with the accumulation of all of those things and the recognition that, you know, these things, and rather than saying things happen for a reason, because it sounds like a platitude that a lot of people are just like, okay, don't come at me, bro, with that kind of stuff. Right. Right. Like you said, because when you're in it, it's hard to hear it when you're in it and you're feeling that way. Sometimes you just need to take those moments. It's almost like the body grieving, the the mind grieving. So give yourself permission to feel all those feels. And then once you are at a place where you can perhaps think more clearly or think about what's next, then it's like assigning meaning to what that event was because events are neutral, as we know. It's how you react to them and what your responses can be. You can let them bury you. You can perceive them as a curse. You can do all of those things. Or you can choose otherwise. You can choose to say, see the blessing and you can see the positive side. You can see that this is the thing that is going to give me my superpower. 
this is the thing that I am going to overcome, come what may, and it's going to move me forward and I'm going to be better for it. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I a hundred percent believe that things that happen to us are neutral. I think you kind of hit it on the head there that so often we fall into this idea or this feeling that I deserved it in some way that I've done something to bring this upon myself. And yeah, like I said, in the beginning, you know, actions do have consequences, right? I mean, I was fooling around and I get pregnant, right? Like I was fooling around and I get divorced. So actions do have consequences, but that doesn't mean that we deserved it. If that makes sense. And for me, I think there's a difference between this idea that like, I deserve to be sad. I deserve to have life be hard. I deserve to never get a break because I've done X, Y, Z. And we can start to take that idea of we deserve these challenges and then start to make it mean something about our personal worth. I deserve these challenges because I'm a bad person, because I'm not worthy of happiness, Mm -hmm. because joy is not meant for me. And that I think is completely false. I 100% believe that that is not true. We are all worthy of joy, love, and ease. And life happens. Life does happen. And like you said, I think so often it's what we make those experiences and the things that happen to us mean about life, about who we are as a person, about who society is, who God is. We just assign so much meaning to it that can either cause us to move through what's happening in our life with grace and ease or get stuck down in the depths of it in the bottom of the pit, never to see the light again. Yeah. I'm not as familiar with Mormon and the Church of Latter-day Saints. I did grow up actually in the Roman Catholic religion, which has its own (laughs) sense of (laughs) guilt and shame and suffering and and martyrdom. Certainly, perhaps there are are parallels there. But yes, I think that there was almost this feeling of penance. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, you know, you yourself pregnant, then you deserve to suffer or this is what you asked for, or this is the result and the causation and what happened. Mm -hmm. And so it's the martyrdom. It's the, all of those things that happen as a result, you know, from a a mental and emotional standpoint, because of the beliefs and what the religion instills in you from, you know, how doctrine is created. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I have actually elevated out of, of that sentiment as well and mm-hmm. recognize for my own self. And I think it has been probably one of the reasons why a lot of people have moved more into spirituality rather than into these, you know, indoctrinated religions is because of the freedom and the understanding that the belief that life is not about suffering. Life mm-hmm. is about pure, positive joy, pure, positive energy, and for us to contribute. But there would not be life if there weren't these instances of challenge you know, there has to be death in order for there to be new life. There has to be seasons of change. There has to be all of this in order for us to learn and shape and strengthen and grow from. And so accepting that as a part of life and recognizing, yes, some people get it more than others (laughs) for sure, for sure. But isn't that wonderful that you can handle it? You know that you have what it takes to overcome and it's no feeling of ill will or shame if somebody 
does have cancer and they do succumb that that is also something that is written in the stars it's something that is very difficult for us to assign meaning to for sure and sometimes there just aren't those answers for a lot of people who are going through the grieving and the suffering of suicide in the families and and things like that sometimes it's just very hard to come to reason with we we know that and that's what we're here for we're all here to support each other and learn and be that support that we need when we are trying to figure things out for ourselves. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. You know, during that battle with colon cancer is when my son's father took his own life. And, you know, it was just kind of one of those things where it happened one month after a surgery where the doctors told me, we don't know that if you'll survive. So my son and I put together my will, we planned all of this. And then a month later, here he and I are sitting at the funeral of his father, completely unexpected. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting there in the funeral, like looking at the casket and thinking it was standing room only. And I remember thinking how heartbreaking it was that he didn't know all of these people, how much he was loved and cared for. Mm. And since that time, there are days when my son and, and even I, like when he's very present for me, when he feels like he's right there and songs that he used to play for me back in 1994, when we first got together, will come on the radio. And I haven't heard that song in years. And it's just like, those types of things that are so strange. And then sometimes my son will say something or make a joke. And I'm like, wow, that is just so much like your dad. And so, you know, to your point with these things of people that, you know, don't beat the cancer battle, you know, don't go get to go into remission or they have, they lose someone to suicide. Like we have, I think going back to this idea that we are full human beings who have the capacity to feel all the things It's okay for you to be sad some days and to really miss them and to question and to wonder what's happened, why that all took place. Mm -hmm. And then the very next moment or the next day or the next week to be laughing and remembering stories about them and celebrating their life and being joyful that they were in your life, that you were blessed, had the experience, you were able to experience them. I think you know, finding the rhythm and the ebb and flow of being comfortable experiencing those two opposites, I think is really where the curiosity and the fascination with life is for me. Mm -hmm. That surfing the wave, that balance between like feeling all the things and experiencing all the things that life has to offer. Because like you said, you know, we sit and often dream about like, oh, I can only wait until things get easier and smooth sailing. I graduate, my son grows up, I get XYZ job, I find XYZ partner, you know, this list of things that as soon as then, Mm -hmm. right. But it never really works out that way. And we like myself, like I told in my story earlier, when things are smooth sailing and really easy and there's not much drama, (laughs) we tend to get like itchy and then make drama because we need, I think a little bit of that friction, that edge where we grow, where we feel uncomfortable, where we need to push a little bit, where we don't know where things are scary and where we try something and it doesn't work out. So we try something else like that, that space, that's where life happens. Yeah. That's where life really is. Yeah. We were meant to grow. We were meant to to move on. And 
I know a lot of people who have lost loved ones recently, probably more so now than than in the past due to COVID or or what have you. And and there's been a lot of you know strange things happening with overdosing and just, you know just mm-hmm. people like going to numbing behaviors in order to try to cope. And the the ones that are left sometimes feel numb. They sometimes feel guilty for moving on in their lives and celebrating and you know feeling good, and yeah. and they carry that with them. Like, what would you say to people? But like knowing that you have been through all of this resilience and that you're helping other people and they're supporting and getting past these hard times, if they're still holding on to those feelings of grief or feeling that they just aren't worthy of more, what would you say to them? Well, the people that feel like that have guilt about enjoying life and moving on, I would say what I would tell my son, because he was in that position in the early days after losing his father is that talk to him, talk to your dad, tell him how you're feeling. I explain, Hey dad, I'm feeling really sad and really guilty about wanting to move on because I feel like if I do, then it means that somehow I've forgotten you or I'm not honoring your loss. And the more that he verbalized how he was feeling either in his journal or speaking it out, envisioning his father being there, the more he could sort of soften Mm -hmm. that grasp on that, the more he could hear those words within himself and start to release a little bit of that guilt and open up to see like, yeah, that's not what this person would actually want me to go on. I feel their presence. I get the sense that they're hearing me. I'm feeling better. Like I can actually still kind of talk with them and commune with them a little bit. And they're more able to kind of work through that and give themselves permission to move on and still hold a light, a memory, a love, a space for these people. Just by moving on doesn't mean that you have to completely shut them out and never think of them again and you know, not have them be a part of your life. It's figuring out how can we incorporate them and their memory and their feeling into your life so you can move on full, still cherishing who they were in your life. And for those people who feel like they aren't worthy I would just start to ask questions, you know, why do you feel that way? Where do you think that idea comes from? More often than not, it comes from a religious background, whether it be Roman Catholic or Mormon or something like that. There has been some statement made over and over in their youth about you're a sinner. You have to prove your worth. You have to prove that you're trustworthy rather than being just worthy from the get-go. And so I would just start to question that, get curious. Why do I feel this way? Where do I think that this idea, this thought that I'm not worthy is coming from? Did someone say that to me? Where is this coming from? And once you can start to unpack it a little bit and look at it from different angles and ask those kinds of questions and see what comes up, see what your thoughts are, see if you can kind of trace it back, then you can start to repair those relationships and or tell yourself a different narrative and look for proof and signs that support that different narrative that you are worthy of your goals and dreams and you always have been from the very start. Mm, Beautiful. And I think that that is really great information. It's hard for people to inculcate and to live by because sometimes the grief is so 
dramatic and that has such a hold on people. It could be a loss of a child. It could be, you know, a loss of a very dear loved one and they just can't get past it. And so like, do you have any more practical examples of like, if you are really in it and just like, it almost seems like the end, what can somebody do? Like, is there something that somebody can practically do to get at least to that little tiny crack of light, that little tiny ray of light that might help to open up something else even more positive? Yeah, you know, it's Jordan Peterson. I believe he's either a sociologist or a psychologist. I can't exactly remember, but he teaches at the University of Toronto, I believe. He's kind of a controversial guy, but he wrote this book that basically the premise of the book is set your sights lower. Like you've set your goals way too high. So I think often with grief, we think like, oh, we should be over it by now. It's been six months, six years, you know, 12 months, 12 years, ages. I should be over it by now. And the thing is, is like, we got to set our expectations lower. So if you are really, really struggling with grief, where you have, you struggle just to get out of bed, the smallest, tiniest step would be, I'm going to eat at the breakfast table and then I can come back to bed. Mm -hmm. Right. And it, you just take these teeny tiny micro steps. I'm going to get up and I'm going to make my bed. And if all I do is make my bed today, I'm winning, right? So it starts with these teeny tiny micro steps to just do one small thing each day. And once that becomes like, okay, I'm getting up and I'm making my bed. All right. Well, then the next thing is, you know, maybe I walk to the end of the block. I go outside of the house, right? And you can determine sort of what's best for you. It could be every day I'm going to write one thing I'm grateful for about having that person in my life, mm -hmm. right? If you're dealing with the loss of someone, it could be, you know, if you're dealing with chronic illness or a cancer diagnosis, like I was, I would wake up and say, okay, what is one thing, just one thing I'm super grateful for today. It starts to train us rather than instantly beginning with the sadness, the sorrow, and all of the lack, all of the things that are unfair, that aren't happening, that are hard and heavy to get us started with just one little bit of lightness. Because yeah, the truth is you might have a roof over your head, right? Or you might have running clean running water might have the sun shining today. You might have you, the rest of your family still around you wanting to love up on you and support you, mm -hmm. right? There are still always these good things that are happening. So the place to start would be, can I just find one of them, no matter how small it is, mm -hmm. start there. And once that becomes habit and second nature to wake up and start with looking for that one thing, then we can add on from there. Amazing. Now for you, because you have had a series of unfortunate events, is that what <laughs> paraphrasing of the, <laughs> yes. it's called the series of unfortunate events? Yes. Was it after stage four? Did you have a breakthrough? Was there an epiphany where it's like, oh my gosh, you know, I have been living this way and now I'm going to turn things around or, or was this like a gradual resurgence for you that you were able to, even when you had that diagnosis, you were able to maybe face it a little bit differently? I think the answer is yes. And <laughs> so I think, or yes, That's both, always the answer. Right? That's always the right answer. Yes. And <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. Both. And maybe it's okay. both. And so I think 
yes, I sort of had this gradual because it sort of was the series of unfortunate events that each time kind of like built on the skills and the learnings from the time before that when cancer came, I think I was in a place to handle it, maybe, I don't know if better is the right word, but perhaps more gracefully than had cancer been the first thing that had happened. Mm -hmm. So I think for better or for worse, I had practice (laughs) dealing with these types of things before cancer came. But I do have to say that I did also have this awakening at one point during cancer, during one of my meditation sessions, I got this sense, this download, this message, whatever you want to call it, just this overwhelming feeling that in some other existence, in some sort of space and time, I had asked for a lesson and this was how the universe chose to serve it to me. And perhaps the message actually, now that I'm saying this to you, every time I tell this story that I feel like I get a little bit more insight, a little bit more peace into what it was. And right now what's coming up for me is that I feel like it was, you know, the universe saying, Hey, we keep serving up all this stuff to you and you still are not taking the leap to go and help others find their joy and their worthiness. Um. So here's another Will this be the one? Will this be the time that you finally embrace your calling and go help the world? And when I got the green light from cancer saying like, okay, you're good. Now we're going to just, now you're in the monitoring phase for the next five years. We're going to just keep monitoring you and make sure that everything's okay. I thought there's no way I can go back to the job, the sales rep job that I had before. That just seems like to go back to the life I had before seems like such a waste of what I've just been through. So my Dutch boyfriend at the time, I said, I'm sell- I quit my job of 15 years. I sold everything I owned. I kissed my son. He was all good and like on the up and happy again and back to his old self. And I moved to the Netherlands and started my coaching business because I was like, okay, it, now's the time because my life can change in an instant. That's what cancer taught me. And I don't know why I'm waiting. I don't know why I'm afraid so that I lay there and say, I woulda, coulda, shoulda. No. I'm not going to do that anymore. And so now you have your coaching practice. Can you tell us about what kind of practice it is and who would be a perfect client for you? (laughs) Yeah. So I, right now I do one-on-one private coaching and small group coaching, and it is for anyone who has been put through the ringer and they're looking to accomplish their big audacious goals, whatever they may be. So I have everyone from people who have just recently left the Mormon church and are trying to find out what their identity is again without that. I have people who have gone through divorce. I have people looking for new careers. I have people just wanting to be happier and enjoy the life that they have and feel like they are worthy of the life that they have and let go of some of this baggage and some of this guilt and shame around what they have or haven't done in their life so that they can actually enjoy the life that they do have. So I coach men and women, and we do a a discovery session where we just talk about like, what is it that you're looking for? Where do you feel stuck or itchy or incomplete in your life? And then we make a plan to to move you closer to it. Mm, Beautiful, beautiful. I know that sometimes people feel like they're stuck in that loop. 
they are. It's like they get the history repeating themselves. They get, they start attracting the same types of people, getting into the same relationships, finding the same calamities. And that is a pure telltale sign that they haven't overcome what they need to overcome in their life in order to break through and live the life that they really want. Yeah. And, you know, getting the life that you really want is scary too, because it feels like so unfamiliar, right? We're so used to that cycle. We're so used to the the roller coaster ride going up and down and the thrill and the highs and the lows. And we get comfortable in that, even though it's not serving us. And if we're really honest, we're miserable, but getting off the ride can be really scary too, because we don't know what's on the other side. So part of my coaching and my support is to stand by you, to be here. Like I'm off the ride and I'm going to walk with you as we navigate what this looks like once you step off. And once you create this whole new life, because it's going to be all new and uncomfortable and a little unnerving sometimes as well. So, you know, I just want to be real with people to say like, you know, change comes with unknowns and that can be unnerving for people. So to have someone by your side, who's like, I'm right here. I got you. is really helpful. Yeah. And as an example, I too am also twice divorced, gone through quite a bit of my own, you know, personal drama slash trauma. And I remember there was one point in my life where I did feel like I was trapped. I felt Mm -hmm. like I was trapped in this position where I just wasn't living my whole truth. And it wasn't until I felt brave enough to write a message to all of my siblings because there was always this fear, like, what will my parents think? What will my family say? Like, it was almost like I was keeping myself small and afraid to have a voice because of the way that I felt like I was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And until I physically like wrote out this message that said, I'm not asking for permission. I'm just letting you know, this is how I intend to be living my life out in the open from now on. Mm-hmm. And it was like the floodgates just opened. It was just so liberating. And that was the block that I needed to get across. It was that family, that feeling of shame or that feeling of what are others going to think of me if I do this mm-hmm. and letting that voice control what my life was like rather than me doing it for me and right. in me. And it was great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, congratulations. I mean, that's huge. Right. And, but it was probably scary AF to do that. Yeah, it is. But, you know, I think sometimes it sounds like for yourself, and I know this was true for me that ultimately I think we get to this point where like, we're not doing it is scarier, right? Not doing it is literally killing me. Mm-hmm. So if I do it, what's the worst, right? So that's so amazing and so happy for you that you were able to clear that block and open up like that. And I think for others, I've, you know, learned this recently. It's like, rather than thinking, well, what's the worst that can happen? Because that's keeping you looking back and thinking of what's the downside? What's the risk? Mm -hmm. Think about what's the best that can happen? Absolutely. What is the upside? Like, what if I actually let this go? What if I could, you know, move to the Netherlands and start a whole brand new life with a whole new bunch of cells? That's me now. Like, (laughs) think about all of the amazing things that could be and get excited about the life that you want to live rather than worrying, you know, the worrying and fear. That's all of those negative vibrations that are keeping you small or keeping you where you are and keeping you looping. I call it purgatory. You know, it's like, (laughs) you know, break through and figure out what those questions are with a coach like Carrie that can really help find some answers for you. Yeah, hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, questions and curiosity is what life is all about. And yeah, I would love to help more people break through their blocks so that they can live their truest truth and, and live their joy and live the life that they've always been worthy of having. 
Absolutely. Well, Carrie, thank you so much for being a role model. Thank you for sharing your story with us. All of your information is going in the show notes so that people can find you. And I wish you so much happiness and success and abundance in your life. Thank you very much for being with us today. Oh, it is my pleasure. Thank you so much. And I wish the same right back at you. Thanks so much, Jennifer. Mm -hmm.